Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It is Monday, May 15th, 2022, and you're listening to episode 137 of the Can I Say Something podcast. Your host and a recluse with the Juicy Caboose, Damien. Joining me today is... Derek McDuff. Today on the show, we'll be discussing what we've been watching, including spoilers for everything involved, Apple TV shows season finales of Pachinko, Slow Horses, the many works of David Cronenberg, and many, 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 many more things right into the show, Bicycle at gmail.com, Bicycle on Twitter, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, tell a friend, family member, or stranger, what's up, man? Welcome back to the show. Hey man, it's good to be back. Uh, I know we missed a little bit there because you were out of commission, but I am I'm glad, and I'm glad to hear you're on the mend. Yes, yeah, I was down for the count <laughs> for a while. Got the COVID. I like I was saying just a few minutes ago. That was we were both dodging COVID, like Neo is dodging yeah. dodging bullets in the Matrix, and I was just thankful for that. And then just to hit me one day, like the Friday before we were supposed to record, I was like chill. I chills. Body aches. I was just like, "Uh oh, here we go. <laughs> this ain't good." Took my temperature. I was like 101.4. Just sweating like a beast. So yeah, it was not fun. I would not recommend zero zero out of ten. Would not recommend COVID. Yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll, I'll I'll skip it then. Yeah, yeah. Would not <laughs> would not try that out. So like I said, I got a bunch on the docket here. You know, we've been been a, been a month since we sat down on the mics here. I just want to zoom real quickly through some things that have happened since we last talked. Uh, Netflix lost 200,000 subscribers. People have probably heard this many times already, but I just want to address this real quick because I've actually canceled Netflix. Do you do you still have Netflix? I, I do. Um, well, my my parents have Netflix, so I don't pay for it. So I I still I still have I'm on the I still have their account information. So uh, yeah. I'm not gonna get rid of it anytime soon. You know. Yeah. I just, it was, I have so many, like I've said before, you know, I have the Criterion or I didn't, I don't have the Criterion anymore, but I have, you know, the Hulu, we got the Amazon plus got, um, shutter through Amazon. I have a bunch of, you know, sub sub subscriptions mm-hmm. through Amazon. I've got all kinds of stuff. I'm ordering DVDs. So I'm just looking to way, looking for a way to cut a chunk of my entertainment budget out. And that's a, that's a big budget. That's a big chunk of the budget there since yeah. they're up to, you know, 1999 right now, 20 bucks is a huge chunk of the entertainment budget. So I, so I canceled that. Um, I do have on here, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to re-up it. I'm probably going to do the thing a lot of people do, which is re-up it when things come back on that you are, you want to watch right. and then. They'd probably drop it, you know. Uh, Love, Death, and Robots is coming back for season three. I hope that's going to be better than season two. Um, I don't know if we talked about season two on here. What, what, what did you did you watch season two? I actually haven't seen any of Love, Death, and Robots. It's oh. one of those things I've been needing to watch. There's, but like I say, a lot of times there's just so much content. And I think that's a big part of the reason why Netflix is bleeding so many subscribers is because there is so much content, and uh, you know that's just one I haven't gotten to. Yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, it's just, it's mid tier. It's mid. <laughs> like the kids say, yeah, it's a yeah. mid. It's a mid shit. Um, <laughs> you know, Apple. Like we said before, Apple TV Plus is like six or seven dollars compared to Netflix's twenty. And I feel like they're for now. You know, they're curating their content very well, as opposed to Netflix, who has this model of just like let's make everything. Let's do like the. Um, what's that? Um, what's the production company that made like Saw and they make all the horror movies? I forget the name of it. Oh, uh, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, just yeah. putting out a bunch of all the stuff. 
Yeah, they put out a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff, see what sticks to the wall, um, invest billions of dollars into stuff, hoping for that one thing to hit that'll pay for everything else. And that's, you know, that's probably not, it's feasible on like, you know, small budget stuff. Like I said, with the horror movies that uh, Blumhouse is the, is the place I'm thinking of. They make, you know, very cheap movies, you know, probably less than a million dollars each. So it's not a big investment. But then if you go to like Netflix is what they're doing, just, just shredding money, just burning money, billions of dollars going down the drain, just trying stuff, trying stuff, trying stuff, and then canceling yeah. stuff that that isn't a massive hit because, you know, they have to make the billions of dollars back. If it's not a massive hit, then unfortunately they cancel a lot of stuff. So like I said, you yeah, know, I'll, that's, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't do the let's try whatever model when you're talking about billions of dollars, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they can't, they have so many shows and it was a couple years back. There was, you know, two executives, and I can't remember their names right now. I, I was reading an article I wish I had it in front of me um, about there's these two executives at Netflix, and they had these two different kind of ideology ideologies. And one was like, all right, we're just going to keep making a few things and put a lot of quality into them. And then the other guy was like, well, let's just make everything and just, you know, and they do two or three seasons of the show. And I was like, oh, okay, this isn't quite as profitable as before, so let's just start making a new show. So, you know, you get two or three seasons of a Netflix show, and then it canceled. So people are like, why even get invested in these Netflix shows at this point? Because you're going to get invested in something like Santa Clarita Diet, which is a great show that they made, and they just cancel after three seasons. You know, like, so you'd are like, okay, I'm not going to get burned again and again. Unless it's Stranger Things, it's going to get canceled by Netflix. And the guy who is kind of, like, taken over in his strategy he's gone he like went all in on Chappelle and you know that you know yeah that's a very questionable decision in yeah. my opinion um and just these decisions that they're making to just try to appeal to everyone and just oh well now it's it's cheaper to make a new show so we'll just make a new show than to you know do a season four because of contracts and everything and it's just like this is that's a it works in the short term but we're seeing that in the long term the negative effects that are coming through from that yeah, exactly. I'm um, Greek wholeheartedly. You know, they, I've been watching a bunch of TikToks recently that are based on like, you know, what are the trends coming in terms of the tech sector and things like that. And it's just a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of, um, what do you, I forgot the actual name of it on our, but just so many companies are, sh- are, uh, shedding, um, employees right now. Huge, huge amount of companies, mm-hmm. uh, startups are, firing thousands and thousands of people right now. So people are definitely talking about a downturn in the economy overall. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Musk was talking about why do we need like, you know, 5,000 people at Twitter? And maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know. But definitely you're seeing a lot of companies tightening their uh, tightening their belt in many different ways. Yeah. 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 So let's move on. You uh, posted a thing on, <coughs> excuse me, uh, on Instagram about the Academy uh, Museum, uh, Museum of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and all that stuff. Uh, so tell me what you saw. Yeah, so that was really cool. I got to go. Um, I've been meaning to go for a long time, um, and I was just had to make sure I got there by the end of June because the um, it's a really cool museum. But um, the one rotating exhibit that they had that I really wanted to check out was the Hayao Miyazaki exhibit. And um, I am a really, really big fan of Miyazaki. I've seen all the movies he's directed for anybody listening who isn't familiar with him. He's a uh, anime director. Um, he's the co-founder of Studio Ghibli. So, you know, movies like Princess Mononoke, Totoro, Spirited Away, Ponyo, um, all those bangers. Like, he directed all those. Um, and that was really cool. Um, absolutely amazing seeing, you know, just all the stuff from his movies and, like, pieces of art from his early career and just kind of getting to track that. Um, and then just in general, 
the museum that was you know the probably the coolest exhibit but there was um all kinds of stuff like i saw ruby slippers from uh wizard of oz i got to see all these costs like i saw the dudes uh like his uh, jacket or pajamas that he wears, which is right next to <laughs> the yellow dress that Emma Stone wears in La La Land, and then I got to see the the nose that the that uh, Danny DeVito wore as the penguin, and an orc mask, and just it's so much, so much movie history. I saw I saw the the actual uh, envelope and note for the the iconic Moonlight. You guys won Best Picture. <laughs> they had that there. They had Shrek's Oscar as a bu- and a bunch of movies that were good Oscars as well. Um, so it was it was really fucking cool. I I had an absolute blast. Anybody who is in the Southern California area should you know if you like movies at all, definitely head down and check it out. Also, the dress from Midsummer, like the the full floral thing. Oh my god, that was so cool. Nice, nice. Uh, hugely jealous of that. <laughs> you got to go see that. Um, yeah, I have the <laughs> I have the dress pulled up right now. That is an incredible. I'm wondering if it's like. Right. Is it? The, did they do like a recreation of it, or is that the actual dress from the movie? Did they say? Yeah, it's the actual dress from the movie. Nice, that's amazing. Yeah, I would yeah, love to definitely see that. It's like um, it's not real flowers they use. It's like you know, you can only tell when you get really close um, mm. that it is you know like fake flowers and stuff like that. But there is so many like little pieces of that just dress, and it's so intricate. And I don't know, there there was all kinds of there was you know the. Uh, the um, Dormelage, there was the that costume, there was Gladiator, uh, his Maximus's uh, thing that he wore, uh, what else, there was uh, the, a little spaceship from 2001, R2-D2 and C-3PO were there, so I, I could just go on and on and yeah. on about how just much movie history was packed into this, this uh, random building right outside of LACMA. <laughs> that's awesome um are they gonna do like is this the thing that they're doing now did they build it out are they gonna expand on it or is just this is what it's gonna be from now on i i don't know if they're gonna expand on. i think this is it i think they, they are just the top floor is gonna rotate it was a kind of a smaller museum mm. you could easily do it in like an afternoon yeah. um the top floor which was the miyamazaki exhibit when i saw it and it still is um for the next month or so um is gonna rotate they also have like a theater there so you can see they um they we usually play movies there. They were playing the Ghibli movie. I didn't end up seeing a movie. Um, it's right by the the La Brea Tar Pits, uh, which is interesting because we went and after we saw the museum and walked around and saw where a bunch of woolly mammoths died. Um, and they shot the volcano with Tommy Lee Jones. Oh uh, wow! But yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> it was uh yeah. It, so I I hope that maybe they expand it, but I do know they will at least have that rotating uh exhibit on the top floor. Nice. That's awesome. If I ever get out that way, I definitely want to be one of the things I see when I, uh, if I ever get out there. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's really cool. Nice. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, we texted back and forth about doing the summer uh, movie wager list like they do yes. on Slash Filmcast. Yep. And we both filled it, filled out the official one. Um, and it's just, it's mm-hmm. weird that, you know, I was listening to the podcast that, that they actually, you know, talked about what their list was going to be. And I guess just to spoil the list, if anybody wants to listen to it, um, you know, I'm just going to spoil the list right now. But they were talking, all of them had Jurassic World Dominion as their number one movie of, it's going to be, the they think it's going to be the number one movie of 2021. I was like, really? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> usually, you know, right now, obviously, uh, you know, the MCU has been a big deal for the past, you know, 10, 12, 14 years almost. And it's just, it just seems to me like, you know, Jurassic World, Jurassic Park 
is like the antiquated thing now. You know, it feels like the new guy on the block. You know, it seems like if, if there's a Star Wars movie, it feels like that. You know what I mean? Like it's not it's not the MCU. It's not like the the, the mainstream relevant thing right now, right? Well, I think it's interesting because I think they are building this Jurassic World Dominion movie up to be the end game of Jurassic Park. You know, like the last two did really, really well. Um, but now they're bringing back like the people from the early Jurassic Park movies. You know, you had Goldblum had a cameo in the last one. But now for the first this is the first what, film of all Jurassic Park sequels, including the original two. Um, where all three leads are back. You've got Goldblum, yeah. you've got Dern, and you've got Sam Neill all coming back. And of course, you know, with Chris Pratt and stuff, they're bringing back just everybody. Henry Wu's coming up. They're bringing back Dodson, Dodson, we've got Dodson here. You know, like it's <laughs> yep. it's really just like they're doing it as like one of these event movies. And there's so many people, in, especially in my age range, I was I was born in 89, so first Jurassic Park came out in 93. This is a movie, the first one is like a movie I've seen probably more than anything and to be like, all right, this is the conclusion, this is the culmination of this saga, I think is going to draw in a lot of people. And I do think, you know, these movies, di- you know, just dinosaurs, you can't go wrong with dinosaurs. I mean, you can, because Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom is a bad movie. But you still, <laughs> people still want to go and see dinosaurs, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess I agree with, you know, you and, uh, you know, Slash Filmcast. It, it, it will bridge that generation that first saw it in the early 90s with the, you know, Gen Z or whatever you want to call them that have grown up with the, the Jurassic World movie. So, yeah, I guess I, I could see that being yeah. number one. Uh, let's go through the list a little oh, bit we're, yeah, yeah, we're millennials, you know. Like, yeah. I'm all definitely a, a millennial, right, for sure. For sure. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't see. I don't. That's the one generation I think wouldn't be as connected as Gen Z because, like, I have some friends at work who are like, I've never seen any of them i'm like what and they're like yeah i was born in 2001 i'm like oh my god <laughs> that's crazy yeah i don't know it's it's i'm hoping it's not gonna do what they're doing now um you know a little bit with like the spider-man movies especially with the star wars movies i was just being like remember this scene doing the member berries thing i'm just like remember that scene remember this scene <laughs> remember that line remember when this person did that remember you know i i really hope that they yeah, do I mean, more I feel like that. they might they might do a little bit of like a, some, you know, callbacks and references in the way that the MCU does it, where it's like, oh, yeah, this thing that happened that yeah. I haven't thought about in a while, where if you don't get the reference, it's not going to really make a difference to you. Like, it'll just go over your head. But the people who get it are like, oh, my gosh, that ties back in to like when the Kirby, like when he had the dream about the Velociraptor, you know, or whatever <laughs> it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely looking forward to that. That's that's uh, next month, right? June 10th, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm seeing it opening nights in IMAX. So I'm, I didn't even see the last one in theaters, but it, it, they wrote me back in. <laughs> nice. Uh, so let's go through the list a little bit. Um, I don't know if you have your list pulled up, but I have. I do. I do. All right, cool. Um, so at, at number ten, I have Legally Blonde three. I think this again is just a nostalgia thing. I haven't seen any of the Legally Blondes, but I feel like these are like the um, Legally Blonde is a lot like to me. Those um, what were the British movies with the British woman who had the diary, Renee Zellweger's Diary of a Lady Person? <laughs> what were those movies? Oh, oh, Bridget Jones, Bridget yeah. Jones. Yeah, they feel like that to me. Of like people, like we we're saying, uh, you know, people that grew up in the early two thousands, early to mid two thousands, really have a lot of love for those movies. So I think that might crack yeah. the top ten. I think that's going to be like you know, Dark Horse that it, the the surprise Dark Horse that's going to sneak in the, into the top ten. 
See, okay, am I? So did you change your list up from the one you put into the the site? Because I'm oh, looking at your list now, and I do not see legally. <laughs> I, I didn't even know that movie was coming out, to be honest. Yeah, I might okay. have. This is like my my first draft that I'm not really sure what I have in there. Let me actually go <laughs> to the official official one while you talk about your number ten. Because I I was like when you said legally blonde three, I was like that's happening. I vaguely <laughs> remember something about that, but I did not know it was coming out this summer. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So what do you have in number ten? My number 10, it's actually a movie that just came out this weekend, and um, after seeing how it performed this weekend, uh, it was definitely a mistake, uh, but I'm like, you know what, maybe it could stick around through the summer at number 10, I think it's, there's some flops, but uh, I have Firestarter at number 10, um, I didn't think it was going to be a good movie, it didn't look good from the trailers, but I was like, you know what, there's nothing else coming out this week, um, there's going to be, there's not a lot of horror stuff coming out the, the summer, and I was like, okay, maybe they'll get get some of the horror crowd. It's a Stephen King adaptation. It's a remake of a very popular Drew Barrymore movie. It's kind of playing on the superhero thing, so I was like, maybe there's enough. It's a Blumhouse movie. Um, the thing is, it's day and day on Peacock, uh, and it has been doing very poorly in its first couple days of release. Uh, we're still very early in, but uh, it's not looking good for Firestarter, um, and it's also, I think... I was not anticipating it to be great, but one thing that's hurt, two things I think that are hurting it is one, Doctor Strange is more of a horror movie than I kind of anticipated, um, and two, uh, it's really, really bad. Like, not is it just <laughs> bad, but it's got like a 13% in Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, Jesus, that's not great. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And my reasoning for picking it, because nobody else picked it, and like none of the people on um, uh, Slash ca- or Filmcast picked it, but yeah. I was like, All right, it's in my number 10 spot, I, you know... I don't know. Not the, what it's a. It's gonna be such a weird summer. I'm like, I'm just gonna throw something out there. This is a. This is a name property. It might make some money, even if it is day and date. Like, I'm just gonna throw a horror Stephen King on there. That's a Blumhouse. Um, but we'll see. So technically, technically, I've I'm got uh, I'm ahead in their point system of, nice. of uh, everybody on the film cast. But I'm I'm sure that will not last once Firestar is booted off. Yeah, yeah. We were talking about like. Um... What's the actor, the guy that's playing the dad in there? Uh, Zach Efron. Everyone's oh, like, Zach Efron, who's oh, a great boy. actor. Don't get he me is. wrong. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, wow, he's a dad now. That's, um, <laughs> that makes you feel old. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like, weird to think about it. Yeah, he's like in his 30s now. So it checks out. Yeah. 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 So, okay, I'll go back and check myself. Think about. <laughs> yeah, it is very weird. So I'll correct myself real quick. Uh, I have DC League of Super Pets at number 10. I think Devendra had this in there one of them and i think i'm pretty sure one of them had this in there I was like oh yeah you know those those things do come out of nowhere and make like you know 200 million 250 million sometimes so that's what my yeah number 10. the vendor has it has his number 10 and then three more have it at their number nine so pretty much all of them except for david chen had it on their list so yeah um, so i just probably, so, you know that was that's a smart there. move i think putting yeah. dc super pets in there Exactly. Yeah. So my number nine is uh, Jordan Peele's Nope. Uh, I haven't seen anything of this. I think I saw like a trailer of it, like the first trailer. Um, I don't know if they're going to release anymore, but I'm going to stay away from uh, any more trailers. I don't want to know anything going Mm -hmm. into this. Uh, I think I mentioned before, you know, I'm pretty cold on um, Jordan Peele's movies, especially after Us. And, you know, I know he only produced uh, the new, uh, what's that, the... What was the horror movie that he uh, just came out last year? That was a remake of the guy with the bees and the hook. <laughs> what oh, was um, that Candyman. Movie? That's Thank fine. You. Yeah, I it think was he fine. just produced that. He didn't direct that one. Yeah, he just produced it. But you know, uh, I'm looking forward to this. You know, hopefully, mm. he feel, does. He feel like to you? I'm wondering. You know, does he feel like to you like um, 
M Night, sort of like the M Night. He's like the M. Uh, culturally, oh, just like like yeah. the Wonderkin, kind of out of nowhere. It's like, oh my god, he made this amazing horror movie right off the yeah. bat, and then he was kind of anointed, and it's like, oh, like maybe did we jump too quickly into this? Yeah, does I, I, so I didn't see us. Uh, I didn't see us, so I can't really because it honestly didn't look great to me. I just I meant to see it, but I never got you know uh, around to it. Yeah, um, I think it remains to be seen. You know, he might have had a little bit of a sl- sophomore slump, um, but he can definitely bounce back from Nope because there hasn't been a lot revealed in the trailers, and it looks very interesting. So if Nope you know bounces back in a really interesting way, we could be like, okay, good. Nope isn't the happening, so we we can uh, we can double down on Jordan Peele. I think uh, if it's as long as Nope is good. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, what is your number nine? My number nine is Bullet Train. Uh, Bullet Train, okay. I was not confident about this movie either. <laughs> I just needed to put something at number nine that was, it's got a big budget, it's got some movie stars, it's got a large marketing campaign behind it. Um, and I think this would movie, Bullet Train, five, ten years ago would be in my top three or four. Um, but, you know, now everything is kind of just, it has to be franchise known IP. For it to yep. break that much money, and I don't think this is. I think it'll make enough to crack the top ten, but I don't really have any confidence in it. Yeah, I don't know how it's going to do. I uh, let's see. Do I have this on here? Uh, I have it in my dark horse. So um, it's directed by David Leach. Um, he did Atomic Blonde, I believe, from a few years ago, right? Yeah, Atomic Blonde and Deadpool Two. I want to say. Yep, Deadpool 2, uh, he produced, he was a producer on John Wick. So, you know, at the very least, we're going to get some competent um, action scenes, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It looks, it looks interesting, it looks good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be, that could crack the top 10. Uh, so my number eight is Bob's Burgers movie. Uh, I, I just shoved this in here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to do, but uh, I guess we'll see. I, I haven't seen one episode of Bob's Burgers, have you? Oh, I love Bob's Burgers. I'm like way behind, but I, I do really like that show. Yeah, nice. That, that should be interesting. So I have that number eight. What is your number eight? Uh, my number eight is Top Gun Maverick. I know this is a lot lower than oh. ev- a lot of other people's, yeah. um, but I just, I don't think that the, you know, the, the 18 to the, you know, 25 <laughs> demographic, I really don't know if they're going to come out and see this movie um, because it is one of those legacy sequels and those don't have a very good track record. Like, look at, you know, Blade Runner 2049 and Tron Legacy, like all these movies that have uh, huge gaps between the first movie and the second movie. Uh, they don't tend to do super well. I know it is Tom Cruise, and he is kind of like the one really bankable movie star left, so that's why it's still in my top ten. Um, but, yeah, I just... I, I'm, I'm more hesitant on this than most people. Maybe I'm that, completely wrong. I might be. Uh, it's also in a very crowded Memorial Day weekend, too. So That, that is true. I didn't think about that. That is, that is a good point. Um, have you seen the first one? I have not. Um, it's kind of one of those movies that I just never really was like, oh, I'm going to watch Top Gun right now. I'm like not <laughs> opposed to it, but I don't really care about watching it either. Yeah, I just watched you know, people the first love time. The danger zone and yeah, <laughs> the the beach scene, the volleyball beach scene. Dude's just topless doing <laughs> doing uh, volleyball. <laughs> um, one of the best beach yeah, scenes no, since I mean, Rocky Three. <laughs> yeah, um, you know it's got. Let me see. What was I going to say? Um, I've heard. Have you heard good things about this coming out of it? Because I heard like early press screeners, people people in the press have seen this early, and they said you know surprisingly positive things about this. Have you heard that? 
Yeah, I think, you know, it is that same thing I was talking about with Jurassic Park, but for maybe like a generation older than us, people who grew up with Top Gun and I've seen that movie a bunch of times and have this, you know, kind of love for it because it was this 80s classic. And um, I think that, yeah, there is I have also heard a lot of positive reception from those who have seen it. Um, I wonder how much of that is nostalgia based and if it is that demographic, nostalgia is strong enough to propel this to um, a top five movie or whatever. Yeah, I think the Gen Zs, the 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 young Gen Zs, the uh, or the old Gen Zs, the uh, not Gen Z, the Gen X actually, Gen X, Gen X exactly, yeah, yeah. Gen, Gen X. Maybe some boomers are gonna come out and uh, pay their monies for that. Yeah, <laughs> let's see. Um, let's see. So my number seven again is highly influenced by the Slash Filmcast's uh, choice in here as well. I have a number seven, Elvis, directed by, and I just had him at the top of my mind and forgot what his name was thank you Baz Luhrmann's directing this Elvis uh biography uh biopic I don't know if there's ever been an Elvis biopic which is one of those guys that you think of it's just like yeah of course they've somebody's made a movie about his life but apparently they they haven't yet right yeah right it's like kind of like you think like oh yeah Elvis he's one of those guys there's got to be a music biopic of Elvis but I don't know if it's like a thing where his family wouldn't let the rights happen or if it was just something that people weren't interested in I, this is another one where I think like, who there is the demographic here to see it because like who like a lot of the older people who aren't going to the movies are the ones who are Elvis fans. I, I Baz Luhrmann is of just a, he's a very um, he's a very specific kind of filmmaker, and I think that not everyone is always down for his taste. I like some of his stuff. I like Moulin Rouge a lot, um, but I don't know if he's everyone's cup of tea. So it'll be really it has Tom Hanks going for it, which is good doing his weird like. It has nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with us. <laughs> like, uh, we'll, we'll we'll see. You know, I I I'll just spoil. It's not on my top ten. Oh. It's a dark horse for me. Gotcha. Um, so I, I I have a feeling this one is gonna be a bomb. Yeah, yeah, it's possible. Um, like you said, Moulin Rouge. I have that's Moulin Rouge is one of the few uh, Baz Luhrmann movies I haven't seen. I saw Romeo and Juliet. I saw. Um, Great Gatsby, Great, Great Gatsby is uh, Dion's one of Dion's favorite movies of all time. So that was interesting. I mm-hmm. saw that a few years ago, and yeah, you're right. He does have a very specific style. It's this weird, like super uh, forceful, lot of energy, a lot of energy in the shots, a lot of, lot of just like. The CG looks bad, but I feel like that's the point of it. It's just like, let's just throw this <laughs> yeah. shit in your face, this glamorous, these bright lights in the city, you know, um, mm-hmm. DiCaprio driving fast in his car, in his 1920s, 30s car, just going crazy. I feel like he could – it's going to be interesting to see that brought to a story that's very much grounded in, in, a, in a real life guy who wasn't real. I mean, he was a showman by the end, but that's my question about this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, a lot of biopics – a lot of good biopics, I should say, focus on a very specific part of the person's life, right? And I, I feel like mm-hmm. just from some of the previews I've seen of this, I feel like they're unfortunately trying to go for a bigger scope. I don't know if that's going to work. Yeah, and like I feel like there's this really great um, video essay that anyone who's listening should li- uh, check out uh, called The Broken Formula of Music Biopics because 99.9% of all music biopics do the thing where they like try to show the artist's entire life and it's just like, hold on, Dewey Cox has to think about his whole life before he goes on stage, <laughs> yeah. like that that whole thing. Yeah. And like, you know, it's part of it's because, you know, the rights and people's families, they want them to tell the whole life, but it, and the movies end up kind of being enough and it's they all hit the same exact beats, you know, like, He's got to go into the bathroom and tear the sink off the wall. Like, there's always yeah. that kind of like midpoint drug. Like, there's definitely going to be a point where Elvis in the middle act is like dr- uh, drug and you just have a redemption. They're all 
the same exact kind of like beat for beat thing. Even the good ones that I like, like I like the um, Ro- I liked Rocket Man. I thought it was as good as you could possibly do with that same yeah worn out music biopic formula. And I'm just I don't need to see another one. I really don't. Yeah, I feel like the ones that sort of did that um, fairly well was <clears throat> was Judy from a couple years ago. Did you see that one? I didn't see Judy. Yeah, Judy was very good. Um, great performance by Renee Zellweger. Definitely deserved the the win there at the Oscars that year. So definitely check that out. Okay. Uh, so what is your number seven? Uh, my number seven is uh, DC League of Super Pets. Um, so nice. I have this a little higher than you or I think anybody else on the uh, on the film cast. Because um, I think this there's no other DC movies coming out this year. So I think it's going to capture that fan base. And it's also going to capture the Secret Life of Pets fan base, which that movie made like, I don't know, some crazy amount, like a billion dollars worldwide or something. So yeah. I think those are two <laughs> very... It's hitting, it's a four quadrant movie, as they would say in the biz, for sure, where you are hitting all these different demographics. And I think that enough people are going to see it where you're going to have, you know, guys who are in their 30s who love Batman. And you're also going to have like people take like moms taking their kids to it at the same time. And it is going to draw in from enough bases to have this movie make a pretty decent amount of money, I think. Yeah, true. Uh, Secret Life of Pets made eight hundred seventy-five million dollars, so basically a billion, <laughs> couple couple yeah, million short go. of it. But yeah, yeah, I agree. yeah, definitely. <laughs> Give or take a couple hundred. Million. Yeah, I you know they released what was it uh, Tom and Jerry last year on HBO Max, so I think it was in theaters oh, yeah. for a little bit, but I'm not sure how that did. But yeah, I just I don't agree with everything you said. They some people just want to throw their kids at a, at a thing, <laughs> bring bring her to the theater. <laughs> so a lot of stuff, you know, right now is not for yeah. kids. Um, I feel like you're right that that demographic, that um, four quadrant thing of being like, I just want to get out of the house. It's been a, two years since we've seen a movie in theaters. Let's just go. I don't give a shit what it is. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's got the rock in it. It's oh, got really? the rock in it. People love the rock. So, you know. Yeah. Name recognition is a lot. Brings a lot to movies sometimes. So there's yeah. your number seven. My number six is Top Gun Maverick, which I believe you had two spots lower at number eight. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right, cool. Uh, number yeah. five, yes, go ahead. Oh, wait, let me get my number yeah. six in real fast. Six, sorry, yeah, uh, sorry. For, I, have, <laughs> I have uh, Nope, which uh, you had three spots lower. So yeah, I think Nope is going to do really well. I think it's going to do be a good horror film that's going to draw into that Jordan Peele audience, that uh, you know Blumhouse audience. Yeah, definitely. Is this, are we doing, um, is the whole game uh, worldwide gross or is it just domestic gross? Because I think that'll change uh, a lot. It's just domestic gross. Domestic gross. Interesting. Because I think, yeah, if it was, if we're doing worldwide, I think, you know, a lot of, a lot of my list would change. Probably Top Gun would do a lot, do very yeah. well in China. China loves uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise. Um, so that definitely changed the, the, the order here. Yeah, I think it would be a very different list if it was worldwide. Yeah. Um, my number five <clears throat> is Minions Rise of Gru. Uh, for a lot of the same reasons we talked about with the animated stuff, uh, I think Minions is a, is a well-known property. I haven't seen any of the Minions movies. That's, I know it's a shocker. <laughs> One of the big properties yeah. I haven't seen uh, in the past, what, 10, 15 years that when it started. Um, are you a Minions guy? Are you, are you a Minions head? Uh, I like the first two Despicable Me movies a lot. Um, yeah. They're really good. Uh, the, the Minions movie is god awful. I have seen that movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I so I do think you know, yeah, this will make a lot of money because it, people it is bringing back group. So I think people like who maybe went away from like the last couple Minions movies are like, okay, well they're at least bringing back to the, its roots, and you know, still the last one made. 
I think once again, a billion dollars worldwide or something. So these movies make a lot of money. Yes, exactly. Uh, What is your number five? My number five is Lightyear. Um, So, you know, animated movie, uh, Pixar movie. This is the first Pixar movie out in theaters in a while because they keep pushing stuff to Disney+. Plus. I think maybe the first one since Onward, right when the pandemic started. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So I think, you know, it's it's a Toy Story character. Uh, I think that is going to get a lot of people in. There's going to be a lot of kids wanting to see this. It's a big, fun space animated adventure. Um, so, yeah. You know, Pixar, Lightyear. Yeah. Um, should be cool. Um, got Chris Evans in it. Got Kiki Palmer. Taika Waititi is doing a voice of Mo Morrison. So you got... Yes. You know, I think... Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you if people are, you know, interested in knowing who's in the movie and I think that they market it, I didn't need I actually until this very moment, I didn't know he was in it. So I think uh, <laughs> they need to market him uh, better with that, uh, have his name out there. Uh, so you get that MCU crossover with, you know, Ta- uh, Ta- uh, Watiki and Chris Evans as the main role there. So, yeah, again, just that whole mm-hmm. uh, four quadrant thing. You get the parents who maybe even are coming from, you know, seeing Toy Story as a kid and then be like, Hey, Hey Johnny, the, I love Toy Story when I was a kid. Let's go see Lightyear so we can both enjoy it. You know, something like that. <laughs> yep. Maybe. You never oh know. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yep, I, I agree. Spoiler. I have my, uh, I have Lightyear at number four. Um, I think that is a sa- the safest spot because I, I'm looking at the list here and I think all of, almost all the special cast has it at number four. So you think that's a pretty good spot, pretty safe spot to have that at. Um, what is your number four? Yeah, so from here on, I think our lists are going to be pretty similar. Yeah. Because um, I just have it switched here. I have uh, Minions at number four. I think it's going to do a little better than Lightyear. You know, that is almost a coin flip. But I think that, you know, it does have, you know, I think it is more of a, I guess, in in uh, more current, you know, more, more um, uh, just kind of recent thing. And the last one made so much money that I just kind of put it a little bit ahead of light year. I think that the Minions movie arcs is going to make a lot of money. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, then, like you said, the top three is pretty going to be pretty much similar. Uh, I have Thor at number three, Thor Love and Thunder, coming out July 8th. Um, let's talk a little bit about the MCU because I will talk, we'll get into um you know, detail about Dr. Strange in a little bit, but um, how excited are you to see Thor after seeing Dr. Strange and all of that buildup and all of that anticipation for what Dr. Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was going to mean for the MCU overall? And I don't think it had that much of an impact that we thought it would have. Did that that impact your uh, um, anticipation of Thor, Love of Thunder at all? No, uh, because I think like I'm honestly, I Thor: Love and Thunder. Thor has always been my favorite event. Well, of the movie characters, I should say, Thor has always been my favorite movie Avenger. I've always, you know, kind of had a weird like I just relate to his character a lot, even though you know on face value we're nothing alike. But I I love I love Thor. I love Chris Hemsworth's portrayal of him, and I was kind of like more interested to see. It seems like this is just picking up from Endgame. That's kind of the vibes that I got from what Taika Waititi is doing, and is not really that interested in um you know where phase four is going as much as he's just like okay this is gonna kind of wrap up thor maybe a little bit um in a way that you know captain america and uh iron man and a lot of the other phase one guys got i don't think Thor really had that wrap up to his arc he ends he does end in a positive place but he i just think he needs to kind of complete his redemption arc um because he was so low um throughout most of Endgame and only just at the end kind of like had a moment. So it will be nice to see this is 
a wrap up to a lot of phase one through three rather than a going forward with phase four. Yeah, I can see that. You know, he, Chris Hemsworth talked about how he talked to Kevin Feige after, you know, uh, Thor 2 and Avengers 2 and said, you know, we really got to reinvent this character because it's getting pretty stale. So, yeah, you, you know, he had Thor Ragnarok was 2017, I believe. So he's really then Endgame mm-hmm. or Infinity War and Endgame was, you know, 2018, 2019. So he's really only had the past five, six years to, you know, live in this reinvented version of Thor. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that they they just need at least one more story of him in this version of what Taika Waititi and Chris Hemsworth built together from Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what what was your number three? Uh, my number three is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, um, you know, which is out now. Uh, had a really huge opening week, but a bit of a fall off. So it'll be interesting to see what this ends up doing overall. Um, I just, I think this movie obviously is going to do gangbusters. I've got it in my number three and it is doing gangbusters. Um, I just have a little more faith in my, my one and two. Um, it is right here out of the, the gate. It is the, does have that, you know, starting bonus, um, of the end of the, the kind of being the beginning one. But I think that there are maybe some more popular characters that will pop up, um, in the, my number ones and two spots. Yeah, um, let's see. I'm trying to look up where it is exactly. Box Office, Box Office Mojo has Doctor Strange at 568 million, and it's been out what uh, two weeks? Is this the second week? Yeah, this is the second week, and it's out, and we're recording on Saturday night. Yeah, uh, 568 million. I don't know if they count. Yeah, I don't know if they have counted today's numbers in that or how how it works, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, and like you said, um, they're only doing domestic. So actually, you know, two hundred forty-seven million domestically right now. So what is what do you think it's going to have to do? I'm not. I, this is my first year doing the summer movie wager list. Um, is the is number one, two, and maybe three have to um, approach a billion domestic to be in the top three? I think so, honestly. And it's this is my first year doing it too. Um, I think, and this is such a weird year because they're really wasn't one the last two years um because there wasn't really a summer movie season yeah in full the last couple of years for obvious reasons um so i and so people are starting to go back to the movies it seems like um it's going to be hard to see how this pans out i think that it's not going to do this year is not going to do as well as previous years um i know dan merle picked uh this movie um multiverse of madness as his number one overall pick so he you know he if i believe anybody in terms of you know knowing box office numbers is dan merle um yeah but uh for me it was a little bit lower and so i think we are starting you know there is a lot of like you know recovery but i think that you are going to have to crack a billion to well i guess that would have to be a billion worldwide so i don't know what you'd have to do domestically yeah but um but yeah like you're gonna have to see these movies make uh i think the top Two, if not top three, are all just going to be ridiculous money makers. Where you know worldwide, they will all three make a billion dollars. Yeah, it's going to have to, right? Um, yeah, my number two mm-hmm. is is Doctor Strange. Um, I will talk about it a little bit later, but um, yeah, it's 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 pretty good. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, made two hundred fifty million dollars domestically, so I think you know it's probably going to be in the, in the number two or three slot, like you said. Uh, what is your number two? 
My number two, Thor Love and Thunder. You know, Thor uh, Love for and the Thunder. Same gotcha. reasons that you had at number three. I just have a little bit of a. I think he, Thor is a little bit more of a popular um, character when it comes to the Avengers. Plus, you've got like the Guardians and stuff. And I know this one had Wanda, but I think you know that there people do really like the Thor character and the Thor story now. They're bringing back Natalie Portman and her gigantic arms, <laughs> yes. uh, which is that's crazy. Oh my god. Uh, I mean, <laughs> hello. Uh, and so I think it's it's gonna it's gonna do real well. I think it's gonna be the big MCU movie of the year. I mean, they're all gonna they're both gonna be big, but uh, I think this one is gonna really really hit. It's extremely possible. I think, like you said, it could be any order for definitely number two and three, but you know, number yeah. one could be up for grabs as well. I've got the omnibus of the um, Thor story that Jason Aaron wrote um, with Isab mm-hmm. Rubik that did the art. Um, so yeah, I definitely think that that's going to draw a lot of the comic fans that maybe just picked that up in the last couple of years. Um, Christian Bale is going to be the the bad guy in there playing uh, Gore the God Butcher. So it's definitely um, mm-hmm. going to be a movie that you're going to be like, oh, is this, you know, could he die? Could he be injured? What's it going to mean for the future mm-hmm. of him since, you know, this is this fourth movie. We're moving into a different phase with different people. Could uh, Jane take over? You know, what is going to be the... Um, What's going to happen at the end here? Is this going to be his full, is his full story arc, like you said, going to be completed here? And is, and is Gore, Gore going to be part of that? So, yeah, definitely interested to see what's going to happen in that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot more like Falcon the Winter Soldier or Hawkeye, um, you know, where they are just kind of like, you know, wrapping up this character's story and maybe introducing some new ones. Black Widow, too, like in that same, that kind of phase four type of movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I believe, so does that mean we both share? We already said, <laughs> we already spoiled yeah, it. But, yeah, uh, we, yeah. Yeah, Jurassic World yeah, Dominion Jurassic World number is, one. is number one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's too bad that they don't do it worldwide because this is definitely, you know, so many of the Jurassic World movies and I forget what other franchise does really well in China. I think Fast and Furious does well over there. So that's yeah, definitely going to make yeah, a billion, yeah. maybe even two billion worldwide. Yeah. But yeah, that's definitely going to yeah. get to, well, to the billion mark. Yeah, and Jurassic Park 1, when it first came out, was the number one movie ever made, like, in terms of box office, until Titanic knocked it off the podium. Yeah, yeah. Definitely going to be interesting to see what's going on right now. <clears throat> Let's see. So, just because Doctor Strange came out, uh, I have seven points, I guess, obviously. Um, so... Yeah, and yeah, I've got eight because I have Doctor Strange oh. in third position, and then Firestarter gets me three points for now. So, oh. I've got the lead, the early <laughs> lead, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if Fire 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 is gonna be able to hang on through the through the summer. You never know. You never know that Zach Efron uh, <laughs> could pull you out there. You never know. All I'm right. Talking about arms. That guy's arms. arms. Yeah, he, he got pretty big for uh, what was it? Um, what was that movie with the Baywatch? Was Baywatch. It? Yes. Thank you. Yep. 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 Got yeah. pretty, got pretty yeah. jacked. So for that. he can. If anybody's arms can hold on, it's him and Natalie Portman. <laughs> exactly. All right, so I just want to very quickly get through some stuff I've been reading, listening, <coughs> excuse me, reading and listening to and stuff. Um, Book Corner, I haven't done a Book Bit- Corner in a while. We've talked about a few things, you know, you work at a bookstore and I've mentioned a few things that you might want to pick up. Uh, ben just barreling through Cormac McCarthy's um, catalog here. Um, I, I listened to The Road. That's one of the most uh, depressing things I've ever put in my ears. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, what else did I read? All the Pretty Horses. I read that trilogy. That was a very good trilogy. I think, you know, Cormac McCarthy is probably my favorite uh, 
living author right now. I don't think he's written anything in a very long time, but um, go back and read stuff like Sutri and I just read Outer, Outer Dark. So if anybody wants to read I, who I think is probably the best uh, American author right now, probably be uh, Cormac McCarthy. What, what is your uh, experience with him? I haven't read any of his stuff. I didn't honestly know that he was still alive. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of surprising to me. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't read any Cormac McCarthy stuff. Um, yeah. I think that I just, I tend to read a lot more nonfiction and fantasy. Um, and I haven't really read a lot of his kind of like hyper-realistic gritty stuff. Um, just really isn't usually my genre, although I do try to be open-minded. So I I should probably read the road at some point. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, it's, um, I wouldn't use the word flowery, but it's very poetic. His his prose is very poetic. Mm. It's very descriptive. It's very, um, you know, it's, it's meandering, but that's kind of the point because the characters themselves meander throughout the book too. So it very much fits in with the narrative he's trying to tell. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then just uh, Nick Cutter, The Deep, and The Troop were stuff that uh, Stephen King recommended. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll check those out. They were very good as well. If you want like a uh, very dark, very brutal, very uh, gory, um, Stephen King-esque uh you know, claustrophobic uh, books like that, claustrophobic horror books. Uh, definitely check those out, The Deep and The Troop. Um, you know, read some short stories from Stephen King. I read The Mist, which ends very differently than – it uh, ends famously very much differently than the movie does where I think yeah. um, uh, Darabon uh, changed it at the last minute there to for the for the movie. And Stephen King was like, wow, I wish I wrote that. <laughs> I think I had the, I think I had the ending of that as one of my top five most disturbing or most um i think it was like the best uh twist ending so something like that it was one of the best endings of all time uh movie endings of all time have you seen the movie the mist no but i know the ending (laughs) and that's probably why i didn't see it i was like i don't oh my god that ending just it sounds i haven't seen it so i can't say what i'm like if i watched the whole movie and that's how it ended i would be so aggravated (laughs) yeah you saved yourself a bunch of time there um and then i do want to ask you you know you said you you you've been in college you you studied a lot of um you know, uh, English, I think, were you an English major in, in college? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I yeah, picked yeah, up English. I got my BA. That's cool. So tell me, have you read any of, um, David Foster Wallace? Cause I picked up infinite jest and that is a book. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's like I said, it's a meandering, like Cormac McCarthy It's a very descriptive It's a 56 hour audiobook. So I was like, let me just get my, let me get my credit worth of, a book here and um, about a third of the way through into it. So tell me, have you read any David Foster Wallace? I have not read any David Foster Wallace. I, I do, you know, tend to lean towards guys who are a little more like a little less dense, you know, like I just yeah. finished um, ocean at the end of the lane by uh, Neil Gaiman, who is one of my favorite authors. I'm actually going to get to see him speak in um, about a week. Excuse me. Oh, that's cool. um, you know, it's like stuff with, you know, stuff like that where it's very much like, almost like uh what do you call it um um just like uh where just you know the the state of uh your mind just kind of like going with the flow of what the character is thinking stuff yeah. like that Fitzgerald is another one of my favorites um of Kurt Vonnegut uh that those guys who are not overly descriptive um where they instead of using a paragraph to tell you the character is sad they'll just write the character is sad and it's just like the the less they write the more you feel that's kind of my jam. Not to like rag on David Foster Wallace or Cormac McCarthy or any of these guys that have a lot more bulk to their uh, writing. Um, I tend to be the same way where I am very 
sparse with a lot of my description languages and stuff like that, and it's very quick-paced. Uh, that's kind of typically what I enjoy reading and writing. Gotcha, gotcha. So you never, you never assigned anything like this in school, in college? No, no, I never got... I mean, I got assigned some stuff in like Victorian literature and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but nothing contemporary really like that. Yeah. It was weird to me. I just want to say one more thing about it then we can move on. But the it was very, not like jarring, but like weird to realize how long uh, Ven- um, Venus Williams has been playing tennis because I guess uh, David Foster Wallace was a tennis, like a regional tennis pro back in when in his teenage years. So this was very much like semi-autobiographical. And he was mentioning how like, uh, I guess she was coming up around that time in the mid to late 90s. So I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I thought this was like t- took place in a, you know, uh, alternate universe or some, something like that, but he was mentioning all these players from back then. So I was like, holy crap, I cannot believe, you know, the, the level of, you know, athleticism that, that they, the Williams sisters have been playing at and for how long they've been doing. It's really, yeah. really impressive. It's, it's impressive. Yeah. yeah. He's been around for a minute. Cause he's uh, actually, there's a character on the office named after him. David Wallace is, is uh, named after one of the writers on the office, his favorite author. So, Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much been all I've been reading. Um, have you been reading anything? Yeah. So, you know, like I mentioned, I just finished Ocean at the End of Lane, which is a very, very breezy. It's like very, one of the shortest things I've read in that's not a kid's book. It's only like 150 pages, um, but it does manage to feel that capture that kind of like feeling of being a kid and just kind of this magical, just fairy tale. It's the modern, it's basically a modern day fairy tale Um it's it's really really incredible um i read another book recently um i was reading some stuff on screenwriting i'd read adventures in the screen trade uh william goldman's book on screenwriting and that was very interesting and eye-opening it has the script for butch cassidy and the sundance kid uh one of my favorite movies ever in there um i read a book before that on the right called the rise and fall of the dinosaurs that was just about dinosaurs like i mentioned i love dinosaurs everybody loves dinosaurs <laughs> so those are the, yeah i'm just kind of all over the place with what i read yeah, yeah, that's cool. I read um, they had a like radio play version of Sandman that Neil Gaiman uh, wrote and produced and narrated. So that was very cool. If you like, if you like Neil Gaiman stuff, I would def- definitely recommend checking that out. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a really big Gaiman fan. Uh, I think he he is a really good writer and who has these ideas that are very cinematic. So as good as his books are, I think movie the movies based on his books are actually usually better. You know, mm. Coraline, Stardust, um, mm. things like that. He actually did the um, he wrote uh, the the dub of Princess Mononoke, which is one of my favorite movies. Oh. Um, so that's why I think that's one of the better dubs uh, from the Studio Ghibli movies. Um, so, yeah, he, he's a really great author for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, I wanted to mention uh, Pachinko and Slow Horses because I've talked about them, you know, pretty much every week that we've hopped on the mics here. And they they did the season finale, uh, both of those, um, within the last couple of weeks. And I just want to mention Pachinko and, uh, is very, very good. One of the best uh, seasons of television I've seen in a very long time. Like I said, it's so cinematic. It's, um, you know, it's, a, it's, it's cinematic and it's a large scale story. It's, it's a story told over the course of like 50 or 60 years, but it's also a very intimate and very small and very um, character driven story about uh, people, you know, refugees coming from Korea to Japan, incredible music, incredible acting. I don't have the names pulled up, but, you know, just, just heartbreaking stuff. Um, like I said, at the beginning always makes you cry. Um, very, very emotional ending to it. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend checking out Pachinko on uh, Apple TV+. Plus. 
I might have to yeah re uh, do my Apple TV Plus to watch yeah. all of these shows because I let it lapse after Coda, um, yeah. but I have to get I should get back into it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Slow Horses is just it's a pretty good show. <laughs> it's not it's not nearly on the level of Pachinko yeah. or Severance, but it was uh, definitely worth worth a watch as well. Um, and then I just want to mention I watched a bunch of David Cronenberg movies because he has one of his first movies coming out this year. I think his first movie in like um, eight to ten years. Let me look up the name of it real quick. Um, what is your history with Mr. Cronenberg? You know, I haven't seen a lot of his older stuff. I have seen a lot of his... I've seen both of his movies with Vigo in them where it is... He got less away from the body horror and more into the, the, his kind of crime movies, like A History of Violence. Um, I was a really, really big fan of that movie. I thought that was incredible. Um, and then um, uh, uh, Eastern Promises, uh, with, also with Vigo. Yeah. I thought those movies were both just great crime drama slash crime action films. Um, and it's interesting to see him kind of going back to his, I didn't see Cosmopolis, but um, mm. to see him go back to his kind of body horror um, roots and still keeping Vigo though, which is cool. Yes. Uh, Crimes of the Future is the name of the movie that's, I think it's debuting uh, right now at Cannes Film Festival. So that means obviously it should be coming out sometime in the next 10 years. <laughs> I hate how much stuff <laughs> like it debuts at Sundance and Cannes Film Festival. And every c- critic that sees it is like, this is amazing. This is the best movie I've ever seen. You have to go see it right now. Okay, great. When, I can, when can I see it? On like November. Yeah, oh, great. Right? Great. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's see. I'll see like, you know, all these critics like this review of this movie. It's like, oh my God, it's amazing. And it's cool. It was out just out of Sundance. It won't be in theaters until 2025. Exactly. Exactly. Um, there was one specifically that has Rebecca Hall in it that people have been talking about since like February. And I think it's not coming out until theaters till like August. It was called um, Resurrection, I think. So, yeah. Uh, let's see. Mm. Crime of the Future should be out June 2nd. So I guess that's, that's not too long of a wait. Um, but yeah, I've checked out... M- just like you said, most of his positive rated stuff, um, really, really weird stuff. I watched Naked Lunch. A lot of this stuff actually is also very hard to find, I, f- I found out. Um, something they talk about a lot on, on Big Picture, they had a conversation recently with somebody who was, they were saying like, you know, we're in this era of you know streaming and you can download it, every, everything and there's a million streamers with everything on there all the time. But that's not necessarily true, especially with Cronenberg uh, stuff. I had to get the uh, Criterion version of Naked Lunch and also had to get the Criterion version of Crash because both of those I couldn't find a uh, good version of on, on YouTube or anywhere uh, anywhere else. And Crash is an interesting movie because it came out in 1996 and you know, like 11 or 12 around that time when that movie came out and is – uh, around the same time, like I, I got the internet, so I'm like looking up all these movies, trying to find like you know, obviously as uh, young kids, young boys do <laughs> when you first get the internet, like let me see the weirdest shit, just show me everything, you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> it's like, what's the what's the like you know the most fucked up movies uh, out there? And I think this is probably around. Maybe this was later. It was probably like early 2000s because they had on the list like, you know, Taka, Taka, Takashi Miike's movies like Audition and Each of the Killer mm. and things like that. And on the list, it had Crash on there. And it's one of these movies that I've heard about and heard about heard about for years and years. So I finally uh, finally bought it a couple of weeks ago and watched it. And it's a really fucked up movie. It's basically it's about um, people that get into car crashes. If you don't know, it's about uh, people that get, get into car crashes and have sex with the people um, as they're lying there injured and fucked up. And they... Uh, the, the, one of the most famous movies in this, one of the most famous scenes in the movie is James Spader having sex 
with this woman who has like a scar on her leg, but it's not fully healed. So he like opens up the scar and, and fucks her her leg scar. It's really Jesus really Christ. fucked up stuff. So uh, there's that. Yeah. And uh, I watched Naked Lunch, um, which was based on the uh, Berkowitz. Uh, I forget the guy's name, but he wrote it in like the 50s or 60s. And it's just a weird, weird fucking movie. Um, there's a, a talking typewriter and it's got these weird like bog people around and talking, talking cockroaches. Um, it's probably the most famous for having that joke in The Simpsons where Bart... And uh, a couple of his millhouse walk out of the theater because they think they stole somebody's car and were going on these joy rides. And they're like, let's go see Naked Lunch. And they walk out of it and they're like, I can think of two things wrong with that title. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, there's, no, there's no nudity and no lunches in that movie. But um, Yeah, that's pretty good. That's yeah, pretty so there's good. Peter Weller, uh, Judy Davis, Ian Holm, and some other people. Really, really weird movie. Um, I saw The Fly. That was that was one of the best ones, obviously. It was the most famous movie. Um, I, got, mm-hmm. I caught up with The Dead Zone with Christopher Walken. They were talking about this recently because, um, you know, because of the fire starter movie came out. They did a they did a whole episode uh, dedicated to Stephen King movies. So they talked about The Dead Zone and ranked the best Stephen King movies with the guys from uh, Matt Gorley has a podcast with the, with his friend that did um, they did a lot of the Bond movies. They did a, a Bond Bond, James Bonding that was the name of the podcast they did a few years ago mm-hmm. and now they're doing a bunch of Stephen King movies so they had them on the uh, big picture this week talking about uh, Stephen King movies and that was that was okay you know I think it's held up as one of the best Stephen King adaptations one of the best Cronenberg movies some of the best um, mm-hmm. Christopher Walken movies and it was it was all right you know I think I think a lot of these movies have like a smaller scale I've talked about this before but I feel like a lot of these movies have a much smaller scale than I thought it was going to be because the thing I heard about the Dead Zone was that Christopher Walken um, shakes hands with a um, with a politician that's running for governor or something like that, and he shakes his hand and he and he sees the future. Um, he was going to be uh, president someday, and he's going to push the button that's going to destroy everybody and send nukes to wherever the bad guys were at that point. So that's the thing I heard about this movie, and I thought that was I thought that was what the entire movie was going to be about. But a lot of the movies actually uh, smaller scale of him like saving a kid from falling in the ice and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It was interesting. And then Scanners is one of his uh, most popular movies. If anybody talks about Cronenberg, mm-hmm. Scanners is on there. That was a trip seeing a young. Um, Gotta find the guy's name here. Let me pull it up. Very, very young. Let's see. Patrick McGowan has Stephen Lack. Uh, Michael, a very young Michael Ironside plays one of the the main psychics in that movie. So that was interesting. He scene. was young at some point. I don't <laughs> I believe know, it. Right? I know. I know. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just going through a lot of Cronenberg movies that I haven't seen before. Very, very good. Very, very good director. I highly recommend watching his stuff. So yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. So why don't we go to what you've been watching so I can <laughs> rest my voice for a second here. <laughs> yeah. uh, what have you been yeah, checking so, out this week? So, yeah, I actually, there was a couple um, big uh, video game adaptations that had come out in the last couple of months uh, that I got around to seeing because I've been watching a lot of video game movies um, for um, some stuff I've been doing for my podcast. And wouldn't you know that there are, two, uh, at least until Multiverse of Madness came out, um, the first or the second and third um, movies at the domestic box office were both based on video games, which is kind of wild. Um, and those were Uncharted and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And uh, Uncharted is fine. Uh, it's just a kind of just C-minus adventure movie that if you have played the games, you might get a lot of Easter eggs in it. Um, so, you know, it's kind of forgettable. Um, but Sonic 2 was really, really good. Um, I thought 
you know, like, wow, we have really come a long way in terms of how we have, like, been watching and making these video game movies. Uh, Sonic 2 was just kind of, it peaked 90s Jim Carrey with some, like, lovable characters. There's some, some of the human stuff is a little like, okay, why is this in the movie? We don't need this. Um, but it's a bunch of fun. It's just a really solid adventure movie with a lovable cast and just, you know, bringing in things from the games without it feeling like it is excluding people who haven't played them. Uh, you know, you bring in Knuckles and, and uh, Tails. I think it's definitely a step up from the first film in a lot of ways. Nice. Yeah, the reaction I've heard about this is basically the same reaction I heard from things like uh, Detective Pikachu, where it's like, this is so much better than it has any right to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would put it in the same category. I think there's maybe like, like of like big budget American releases based on video games, like they're this and Detective Pikachu are probably in like the top two or three for sure. Nice, nice. Uh, you also checked out Death in the Nile, which, oh boy, mm-hmm. <laughs> what'd you think of this one? That was a weird movie. Yeah. Because uh, it's streaming now on HBO Max and Hulu. Yeah. Um. So a friend, I was, I was actually right after I went to the Academy Museum with my friend. And uh, we came back and we were eat, getting some food um, and we're like, OK, well, let's just put something on for a couple of minutes um, while we eat. And she's like, well, we can watch the because she was at the during the day mentioned the uh, ridiculous opening of that movie and how there's a 10 minute backstory for how <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, why Kenneth Branagh grows a mustache. Yeah. And she's like, well, do you want to watch that? And I was like, of course. And so I watched <laughs> it and then. And then uh, she was like, all right, well, I'm taking off. And I was like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just in this now. Yeah. I'm just going to watch the rest of this movie by myself. And I did. And uh, it was weird. Um, I hadn't seen the first one. Uh, I was, but I was like, that guy's definitely from the first movie. Um, they make some, structurally, it is one of the worst structured murder mystery movies I've ever seen. Because the murder <laughs> is the midpoint of the movie. And then all of the detective stuff is just rushed into the second half. Um, so that was strange. Uh, there's some very weird slash unfortunate casting decisions where this was one of the last movies to be made before the pandemic and it was ready to come out and then the pandemic happened. So it just kept getting pushed back. And, um, so a lot of people in it have been canceled. Um, Gal Gadot yeah. is just not a very good actress. I feel yeah. like, uh, and it's, it's a weird movie. It's, it's very predictable. Um, you can really, if you watch, movies and kind of or like are you you're a fan of just kind of like these murder mystery things it's a pretty easy reveal to crack um there's even like a second reveal that is also pretty predictable um looks great looks incredible (laughs) um but yeah uh weird weird movie like it's at least fun to watch because it is so weird from a structure standpoint that it is really worth examining i think and we'll checking out because some of the choices are baffling yeah and it's just like this is like canceled the movie you got like you said gal Gadot did the imagine thing during the beginning of the pandemic you got army hammer he's a mouthful like i said uh leticia wright is just like uh masks vaccines nah not for me. Nope. Not doing that. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's just like, Jesus. It's and like, Russell Brown's like, I'm actually the I'm actually the best person in this movie. You know, I'm actually the most likable guy in the movie for the first time. And you're yeah, like, all right, Russell yeah, Brand, I forgot you were in this. Yep, yep. Jesus. Yeah. I might just check that out. Like if I'm ever super drunk or high, just uh, put something on <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, something else, something we both watched is The Northman, the new Robert Eggers film. What do you think of this? 
thought it was badass. Uh, I was like, you know what? This is this is a really good movie. I'm into a lot of these kind of like Viking stories and mythology and stuff. It's it's very much kind of my heritage, um, you know. And I'm also just into that kind of like culture and all that. Uh, I, I really dug it. I thought the final battle was awesome. I thought that the kind of moral of the story was really cool. Performances are great um, across the board. Um, just a really cool movie. Uh, like, you know, I'll s- spoil the ending and just say yeah. that uh, this is no offense to Revenge of the Sith, but that is the best uh, <laughs> fight sequence uh, on the where the finale takes place in a volcano that I've ever yeah. seen. It was yeah, fucking sure. rad. Um, <laughs> God, it was, it was so cool. And just like, I like how it's like was the was were the things in this happening like magic and mythological was the gods happening or was it just coincidences because you could look at it really either way well, like yeah maybe the crows just showed up but maybe they were sent by Odin because nothing like explicitly magic takes place but it is kind of hard to believe that oh yeah these things just took place like without the help of the gods so it, it really walks that fine line in a very cool way um and it's it's really good Robert Eggers like he knows how to make a fucking movie, um, yes. you know, and if you're making a, uh, it's a requirement that if you're making something about Vikings, um, you have to have a scars guard. Uh, yep. that's just the law, you know, obviously, uh, Thor has, uh, has their dad, you know, you've got, um, in the TV show, you've got, the, uh, you've got Gustav, I believe is his name. So, you know, anything Scandinavian will have a scars guard and they obviously true blood. He played a Northman, Bill Northman, uh, not <laughs> Bill Northman, weird... um, Eric Northman, yeah, Eric yeah. Northman in, um, in true blood. So he's no stranger to playing a Northman. Uh, so yeah, fucking great. Yeah. I agree with everything you said. Um, Willem Dafoe is is just incredible actor. Just brings yes. this, bring just goes to eleven even when he doesn't have to. I'm, I'm assuming, <laughs> like when he, when yeah. Eggers was shooting his scenes and Dafoe was just <laughs> going all out. He's like, I didn't ask him to do that, but I'll take it. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was incredible in this. Um, you know, Ethan Hawke wasn't in this mm-hmm. for very long, but I felt like uh, he did really well for what he did. I think Andy Taylor Joy, <clears throat> Andy Taylor Joy is just always incredible. It's, it's just it is kind of weird though. To, to see somebody like that who's so like exquisitely beautiful and goes does these runway or not runway but uh, red carpet um, appearances and she was at the Met Gal and she's this beautiful dainty person and you just see her covered in mud I'm like that's not mm, no I don't buy it <laughs> I don't see that person ever doing that in real life so oh, she's kind of like this weird like magical witch in it too yeah. i thought that was like interesting that you know i don't mean, she she's got such an interesting thing because she is like you know said like this beautiful like runway dainty person but she's also kind of got this like dorkiness at the same time yeah. which is why i think she's able to like like she was perfect in the queen's gambit where this, this character starts as a dork and then it just kind of becomes like this icon um so she's a very unique actress i think and i i loved her in this too yeah i'm definitely um waiting to see what she's gonna do next i think she was she cast as um, she's in the next, uh, was the, what's the movie? Furiosa? Yeah, Furiosa. Thank you. Yep. She's going to be her yeah. in that one. So I'm, I'm definitely, looking, for that. definitely looking forward to God, that one. It's going to be good. Yes, yes, it's yes. great. Um, and then finally, I just want to say Nicole Kidman is probably one of her best roles I've seen her in a, in a very long time. Oh yeah, absolutely. I like when she like introduced, she was like, go to see something we've never seen before. I'm like, I'm going to see you right now. She introduced me at the AMC and then I'm like, all right. And then that <laughs> twist where it's like, she was like, oh my God, like crazy murder mom who maybe wanted to bang her son. Like, yeah, I was like, oh my. What was that about? Gosh. What was that about? Like, 
that was that was a scene. That was a scene. Jesus Christ, that was insane. Yeah, incredible, <laughs> incredible cinematography, incredible, um, you know, music. That thrumming drum beat throughout the entire thing was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, loved it, loved it. Um, let's see what else we got here. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about unbearable weight of massive talent. We both saw this. Um, I think, you know, I saw this right after seeing um, Leaving Las Vegas, uh, you know, the one role that, um, that Nick Cage won for Best, for best Actor. Um, this is definitely not that. <laughs> definitely a, <laughs> uh, uh, different, different role for him here. What did you think of this movie? Uh, I think I, I liked it. I definitely enjoyed the movie a lot. Uh, I think maybe I had too high expectations coming in. Yeah. Um, because it was it was good. I appreciated all the meta references and everything. Um, and I love I love a good buddy movie. I love a good movie just about male friendship. Um, but it felt like it was just kind of you know if it wasn't being John Malkovich, you know, like this movie could have just been. You could have just swapped out Nick Cage for anybody and taken some of the references away, and it would have been a pretty similar movie. Um, there was nothing inherently like this needs to be a meta Nick Cage thing to tell this story about. You know, like there were these these guys who are bonding, and then you know there's this drug thing going on. The kind of third the third act is kind of just you know it, it's fine. I, but I'm being way too hard on it. I really did. I was laughing a lot. I think both Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal are hilarious and them playing off each other is in this just great bromances is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed it as well. Um, I love all the interviews I've seen. I've seen so many interviews lately <laughs> and so many like <laughs> um, podcasts about this movie and podcasts about the MCU and um, multiverses in general and referential movies in general. And I think I, I, I have a lot of the same feelings you do about this and I have the same feelings about um, Doctor Strange 2 which is, you know, you, you're telling you, you had a chance, you had the opportunity to go very weird and very meta with the concept and the premise of the movie. And like you said, it didn't go quite far enough at all with it. I feel like you could have mm-hmm. done more references to other movies and had, a, had you know, just absurd, weird shit going on. And I don't I think they were maybe afraid to go in that direction. Right. Yeah. Like the ending is just like it felt like a watered down the same and it's very much the same ending as tropic thunder but it felt like more watered down and less interesting than that yeah i feel like there was some you know very good um uh cameos but uh you know supporting actors were great in this i liked uh tiffany haddish was great in this uh neil patrick Mm -hmm. herrick was pretty funny i love ike barinholtz as you know one of the fbi guys i love the the scene where he's like (laughs) he has that uh paralyzing um paste or whatever that he gets the cage gets stuck on himself (laughs) yes that was pretty incredible but yeah i agree it did sort of fall fall flat a little bit near the end but overall I did really enjoy. I think you know Nick Cage has said this was one of his hardest roles to play as himself, or maybe it was like one of his scariest roles. Actually, he was <laughs> what he said. So, you know, it's it's, it's interesting. It's it's you know it's it's a buddy cop movie in some ways. Um, like you said, it mm-hmm. does sort of um, conform to that sort of uh, that very uh, traditional um, action movie ending, like you said, but it was, it was weird too, right at the end where you're just like, yeah, I'm a normal actor, but I'm also going to gun down this th- like three people in a row. So are you, yeah, a normal, yeah. are you a normal actor or are you a gun guy or what's going on here? Yeah. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah. So, I, yeah. 
<laughs> let's talk about, um, let's see, what was I, oh, of course, uh, Doctor Strange 2. You saw this. You talked about it a little bit on, I think you had another podcast that you talked about this, talked about this on. So we won't go too, too deep. Mm-hmm. But overall, like I said, with the Nick Cage movie and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, I feel like they didn't do go tw- quite weird enough with it. And also I want to have a discussion about the MCU in general. It's... Not great <laughs> right now. The uh, <laughs> MCU Phase Four stuff. Moon Knight, I thought was kind of eh, kind of mid. Um, and I just feel like overall they are not doing enough connect kind of connectivity. You know, I think the most connectivity they've had so far as you know, bringing in the old guard was Shang Chi. I've said this before, but it's just the Phase One, Two, and Three, the Infinity Saga. Right? They had the stingers. Almost every stinger in that movie led directly led to whatever was coming up next. And I feel like because of COVID and because of how mixed up each movie um, ended up coming out, because they, I think, um, I, I forget what was, what was supposed to come first. I think Falcon Winter Soldier was supposed to be first, and then and then one division, and then something. It was so convoluted that they had to, you know, rearrange the entire phase four of a release date. So I, I give them a lot of, you know, leeway there. But you, at some point, you had to know what, what order they were coming out in. And they, I feel like they needed to put in like, okay, next movie is going to be Shang Chi. So let's put a little stinger at the end of, you know, Falcon with a Soldier. Let's put in a little bit of a stinger at the end. They, you know, they did, they did. Doctor Strange put a whole trailer <laughs> at the end of uh, Spider Man to be the stinger there, and I felt like, oh, so they didn't know that was going to be there because I think they flipped Spider Man and Doctor Strange their release date, right? Yeah, that was that was what got that was the big flip was Spider Man Doctor Strange because it was supposed to be America was supposed to be what introduced the multiverse, and she was supposed to basically take the Ned part in Spider Man. Exactly, they they changed so much at the last minute, and I <clears throat> I really feel like you're feeling it in the lack of cohesiveness in the whole thing, right? Do you do you feel that too? I feel it, but I honestly I kind of like the see one of my things that was burning me out a little bit on the MCU was that it just felt like okay, well this is just a preview for the next thing, and just stick like the only part of it that's going to matter is the post credit scene, and I feel like I haven't really been experiencing that i felt like that way definitely with black widow like that was just like okay we're this is pointless and here we're gonna have at the end we're gonna have Elena show up and talk to the the bad guy from this show and you so you know she's gonna she's talking to the bad guy from falcon the winter soldier so she knows she's gonna show up in hawkeye and i was like all right i don't i don't care about any of this like <laughs> i just want to see a good movie and i feel like with doctor strange i i did get a good movie and i didn't like actually i did not like the the stinger in this because i felt like it kind of um, took away the importance from like the kind of like jump scare not jump scare but like kind of like abrupt ending and then it's like oh he's just walking around that's fine i really didn't like that mm. um but i did i dug the movie um i like that moon knight was very separate from everything else i have my some other problems with moon knight but i like that it was like all right we can just go he there's the there are characters who are, are connect not connected to everyone at least not right away you know you don't need to immediately there are this is a whole universe and it's you know like uh, the the Star Wars problem that some people have is like this is a whole galaxy of people and all we care about is this one family the Skywalkers and their friends yeah. and the same thing with Marvel it's like I don't need to see just the Avengers and their friends I want to see what's going on with Egypt and okay there's a thing going on over here and like what's going on with Daredevil and you know that's something we lost a little bit when I feel like 
and the Marvel Studios took over Marvel TV is we lost these other stories of people doing things that weren't connected. So I'm glad to see that. Obviously, Multiverse of Madness is very connected to WandaVision and, um, you know, it probably will affect some things going forward. But I, I do like um, that it is still, at least for now, like we can build up to like Secret Wars or whatever the big endgame yeah. thing is going to be. But I liked in phase one where it was like, okay, we are telling these, we're going to introduce Iron Man over here. We're going to introduce Captain America over here. We're going to introduce, you know, all these characters and their own things and then have them cross over. Um, so I, I hope they, they do that again with this. Um, and I'll get into it probably further, but, you know, I really dug the third act of this movie, which is usually my big problem with Marvel movies is the third acts disappoint me a lot. But I, I was a really and I was very disappointed with the what would be the essentially the third act, the last episode of Moon Knight, just yeah. because they are just these big battles against. And it's just there is no the only thing is just who's stronger, who's going to win. Uh, that's all it is. It's not interesting or psychological. Usually there's no, you know, climax for on a personal level. Um, but there really was in this, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the the ending of Doctor Strange, I think people put, you know, Doctor Strange in the middle of the MCU overall. But, you know, like you said, mm-hmm. the ending of that was very interesting where he uses his, you know, intellect and he uses the, the, the time stone to be like, Dormammu, I'm here. I'm here to bargain over and over again. Very interesting way to defeat that villain. And like you said, it was very much a shooty, shooty, bangy, bang, um, especially with the cameos of the... Um, of the Illuminati, she very much was just that, um, just sort of like here's a here's a cameo again talking about you know um, member berries. This is this isn't a member berry, but it's like hey, here's your fan casting of you know Krasinski as Mister Fantastic, and here's the uh, '90s X Men theme. Here you go. You want these things? Here they are for you. But it's also like, what's the point? I feel like one of my big pet peeves with the Phase Four so far has been stakes. Like, what are we fighting towards? What are we, what are we trying to um, not lose? What are if the if you know something w- that um, worked really very well with everything everywhere all at once was saying yes, there is an infinite universe. Yes, there's infinite versions of everyone of your friends and family and yourself. And that can lead to a feeling of nihilism where if everything is everywhere all the time and there's infinite versions of everything, why does anything matter? Well, it matters because you spent your entire life building up this one universe. This one version of your mother that you've been living with for 25 years is the one that matters because you spent all that time living with her and loving her. And that matters. So I feel like we need to – I feel like the cameos in here were just like, here's the here's another universe and they just died. Well – what's going to happen with the A38 universe now that they just died. So if you're just saying like, you know what I mean? Try, trying to build up stakes and being like the one version of, you know, um, what's her name? Christine. Like he's Benedict met this other Christine. He built a relationship with her. He told her that he loved her. But what about the other Christine? You know, you have to uh, make me feel like there's stakes and that, that if somebody dies, it's a big deal. You know, it's a big deal that Iron Man died at the end of Endgame because he spent 10 years with that character and built the whole, you know, character arc with him. So it meant something when he died. I don't feel anything when Doctor Strange is talking to Christine because that's not his Christine. You know what I mean? I mean, I get what you're saying. And I, I think that you have a point, especially about like the whole Iron Man thing. But I feel like those those were just like the and the memory berries. But I feel like those were just cameos and if you are someone like me who was the one person who saw Washington humans and you see ants and mount show up you're like oh my god it's fucking ants and mount i can't believe yeah. they actually <laughs> brought back ants yeah. and goddamn mount like yeah. that blew my mind but if you haven't seen Inhumans, like 
nine percent of the entire world right you're right. just like okay there's a there's a guy here and you're like oh who is he and that that the stakes there i felt like in that scene are really to just show how powerful wanda is and i feel like the stakes in the movie overall are much more on the small scale you are trying to stop this very personal thing you're stop like trying to save these kids from like this wanda's kids in this other universe and you know i i dug that that it wasn't like oh my gosh, like, we're gonna get the world destroyed again, you know, because when that just keeps happening, it's like, oh, this is just about saving the world again and again, and make it much more personal stakes in this movie, and there still is all the multiverse stuff and the dark hole and stuff. Yeah, It's fine, whatever, but, like, the real emotional crux was, like, we're trying to, like, save these kids and stopping Wanda from going and, like, killing this other Wanda and, and doing all this stuff. Um, so that that's why it really worked for me um, on a personal level. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, one thing, uh, one last thing we'll talk about uh, with this is just, you know, building up the universe again. Um, they could uh, make references to the Young Avengers, which, you know, they built up um, with, you know, Hawkeye in that show. You could have her uh, meeting other people or making references to, you know, Kid Loki or, you know, Speed and Wiccan are part of the Young Avengers. You have America Chavez, obviously, you just introduced her there. So, you know, you, you have other opportunities that I feel like, you know, I just want to see them being like, yeah, they're here and these are characters. But, you know, to, to be like, hey, you know, maybe Loki's alive. Somebody could say at some point soon, uh, maybe in Thor, we could see, you know, somebody say, hey, I think there's a, there's 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 rumors you know there's there's talk of a Loki is somewhere out there breaking the universe you know something like that. I have mixed feelings about that because I do love I would love that to happen but also Thor had to like lose his Loki like that was you know like you mentioned the stakes of Iron Man dying the stakes of Loki dying this version of Loki dying uh, was so huge and if you like kind of take that away in the next Thor, and it's like, okay, Thor, who struggled through his brother dying, and his uh, father dying, and then finding out have a, he had a sister, and then she dying, and then yeah. losing Jane, and losing his mother, and all this stuff, I, I, I don't know, if you could, if Taika, if any could do it, it could be Taika, yeah. um, and then just, you know, to circle back to WandaVision a little bit, I do, I think there were stakes with Wanda, because, and I, I one of the things I really liked about it was, it took this character who has been She's introduced as a villain. She had then she became a hero and you know a huge hero. And then you know in Wandavision you start to question her a little bit in this, and she becomes a full on villain. And I I really liked that you know quote unquote heel turn where Wanda just became a villain and she was the one who no one was able to defeat herself. She realized she was the villain and she had to stop herself. And her sacrifice in at the end to destroy herself in the dark hold was so powerful. I felt like that was big stakes because we've had this character since 2015. We've seen her whole arc. Like we were invested in her after, especially WandaVision. Um, so I do hope that, you know, her sacrifice at the end is permanent. Cause I don't know where you go with the character from here. And I hope that, yeah, like this, this end to her is impactful and meaningful. And, and she stays, you know, like she stays uh, dead. Yeah. Oh, you think she died at the end there? I think so. Uh, I, oh. I I think so. I really hope so, um, because I really don't think there's anything else to do with it. You can't just have her come back and be more evil because she's already didn't, been through that arc and decided she, she realized she was evil and tried to stop herself. And I don't think you can have her just go back and be good after you see her like blow up Jim from the office's face and, you know, <laughs> uh, and kill Peggy Carter, you know, who was like, I, I don't think 
you know, she she's she's you know, it's like how they they tried to bring back. Um, I mean, these aren't movies that I watch, but after what's his name, uh, Jathan Statham kills Han, and they bring him in the good guys. People are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This guy killed Han, you know? Yeah. Why is he on the good guys team? I think you would feel the same way about Wanda. Just like, whoa, Wanda, Wanda killed the Illuminati, you know? She killed all those sorcerers. Uh, why is she back on the good guys, you know? Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think you could do it. I think that she needs to have, this is the perfect end for her. This is a really, she went through, have a really unique and interesting arc where she did become a villain and uh, yeah. she lived long enough to see herself become the villain, as Harry Dent would say. And then, you know, she <laughs> was the one to put a stop to herself, so... Yeah. Uh, I, I hope this is it for her. I really do. She wouldn't be the first Avenger to kill a lot of people, though, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. But usually, usually, <laughs> like, when Tony Stark is killing people, they're quote-unquote bad guys. It's like, yeah. oh, that was a terrorist. It's okay. I was thinking of... That was, Bu- a, that was an alien monster. It's all yeah, good. Yeah, I was thinking of, like, you know, Bucky killing Caps or uh, killing uh, Iron Man's parents, but, you know... Potato, That's potato. true. Well, he was brainwashed. Like, I mean, I guess Wanda was sort of yeah. brainwashed. She well, was much more hold. cognizant, though. So, sure. Yeah. I. So, yeah. She shredded some of those guys. The Carmitage, uh, whatever it's called, like just, vroom, just vaporized that one guy in the ground. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Still though, he he was he was not in control of himself. So. I think I think that's why you know Bucky not gets a pass, but uh, yeah. is able to come back into the fold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one thing I want to hear what you thought of Petit Maman. This is the uh, another movie from the director of Portrait of, Olivia, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Celine Sciamma. Uh, what did you think of this movie? I I loved this movie. Um, it was you know so nice, and we've talked a lot about all these maximalist films that we like, like the Daniels are self-described maximalist films who made everything everywhere all at once. Uh, Doctor Strange is obviously a maximalist film. Maximalist film, I would say probably the same thing about um, uh, massive weight of mass, uh, bearable weight of massive talent. This movie is so the opposite. This is such a minimalist, stripped-down movie. It's about seventy minutes long with credits. There's basically three characters, um, except for the opening scene. Um, but it is so just like a really small, beautiful story. And it's, it's, it's like, okay, there's like magical things happening and it's time travel, but it's just done so simply. It's just like somebody walks into the woods and then they, they go back in time. It's this really powerful story about dealing with grief and like understanding that your parents are like people too. And I, I, I loved it. Um, I love the whole thing. I love the ending where they just, they look at each other and you're like, oh my God, she does remember, um, when they call each other by their first names and they realize that they were friends. Um, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire was obviously one of my favorite films ever. Um, this is a very different film, I will say. Um, but yeah, I just, I had, you know, an afternoon where I was free. I had my AMC pass and I was like, you know what? This is in a theater. I don't know how long it's gonna be in theaters because it's a very limited release. So I went and go, went and saw it, um, caught like a very early show and was out <laughs> before like two o'clock. Uh, yeah, nice. really, really good thing movie. And, uh, uh, yeah. Um, what did you think? Yeah. Did you see it? Yes, I did. I, I saw this as well. Um, I also saw Portrait of Lave and Fire and I love your review of it on there. Thank um, you. yeah, I love this movie. It is, uh, one of the best child performances I've ever seen. Uh, Josephine Sands and Gabriel yeah. Sands play the twins. And it's just, like you said, uh, agree with everything you said. Just a, just a really small, beautiful little story about a girl who is, you know, trying to connect with her mother. I think her grandmother just died. And I love movies and stories 
where they tell you what happened without words and they just show you what happened at the beginning of the movie. She's at the... Um, show the don't gr- tell. Exactly. No? Yes. Yeah. And that's what this movie does. Yeah. Show doesn't tell very, very well. They're at the uh, nursing home and you just see the, the mother cleaning up this room that's empty. And obviously you can tell just by what's going on, what happened. So it's this really great, it's, it is sort of like, um, like you said, a really great comparison for the, uh, the Daniels, everything everywhere all at once, because like you said, this is, this does that, which is a mother daughter story about a story about uh, a daughter trying to connect with her mother and vice versa. And I think this is a very good version of that sort of the opposite version of that, like just them sitting in the woods, talking to each other. I haven't seen this in a very long time, so I couldn't pick out specific moments of it. But I, I do remember it being very impactful and very good story writing. I think she's um, Celine Scamma wrote and directed this. She writes, I think, all of her movies, and she's one of the best writers working today. And it's just a very, very beautiful little story. I'm really, really glad I saw this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And one stray observation. So when I'm watching this movie... Um, and you know she goes quote she goes back in time she sees her old house you know with the, the you know once again showing don't telling they have that little wallpaper thing which they do brilliantly they were like oh the wallpaper the old wallpaper is still here yeah. in this one spot and then you see the whole and she's like oh she has that realization and so does the audience they never need to say it um, but when she goes back you're like thinking like oh okay so like you know she's she's going back to see her mom when her mom was young so she's in like the 70s or something like that and then you stop and you think you do the math you're like wait her mom her mom is 31. This movie, I guess, would be probably set, came out in 2021, so it's probably set that year. This, so when she goes back in time, she's going back to, like, 1999. And <laughs> it just yeah. blew my fucking mind. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, ugh. Like, I just yeah. I feel, like, so old instantly. I was like, oh, my God. She's, like, the mom in this movie is the same age as me. She's going back. She's just going back to, like, when The Phantom Menace came out. <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy how time works like that it just it just keeps going it just <laughs> doesn't stop and it just keeps going and young kids keep coming out of of mothers and mothers keep getting younger and there's this person i listen to on um it's a podcast called uh waypoint radio and it's this person they just hired uh, a new person on there i was like oh what's going what's going to happen here because they had a, they had a very good dy- dynamic with the people that were on there and one person left and they had to hire a new person um they're all everyone on there is about 35 and the person they hired was about 21 22 and i was like oh my god well they actually revealed they were 21 or 22 after the first show and it's just you know it's it's not even the age thing it's just like not and not even an experience thing. It's just this person is twenty one, and I go back and I think about what I was at twenty one, the person I was, and the th- the the feelings I had, and the thoughts I had, and the viewpoints I had. You know, political views were were. I didn't have very many political views, but they were probably extremely simplistic and extremely um, could not, you know, explain anything about politics or my my view on those things. And this person that's on there, I think her name is um, Renata. Um, or not a something, but you can look it up later. But she's just so eloquent and so better at talking, like better, much better at talking than I am right now, obviously. <laughs> and she's just so knowledgeable and so confident, so knows what she wants. At to to have those qualities at that age, I'm extremely jealous of that. Extremely envious, I should say, of her ability to to have those views at that age. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I totally hear you because I look back at some of like, you know, my early writing that I would do for like when I started writing out um, in film and like I looked at some of those early things I wrote. And I was like, this is bad. Like when I was like 23 <laughs> and stuff like, you know, pretty fresh out of college. I was like, what was I doing? And then, you know, I just see like all these, you know, people on TikTok and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, look at this. And they're like in their early 20s. I'm like, your takes are already so much better than mine. How did this happen? 
Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to do video stuff now. Just I guess we'll get into the plugs right now. But I did a, a video essay just recently, and it's just it's it's okay. <laughs> it's fine. It's a little amateurish. Honestly, honestly yeah. like props to you, man, because I've been wanting to do a video essay for the longest time. Um, I I need to watch it because I'm actually I I was gonna watch it, but I haven't seen Ghost World yet. So oh, uh, so I guess sorry, so I just spoiled it. Uh, but I haven't <laughs> seen it yet. Yeah. Um, so I haven't got a chance to watch your video essay. But I, it's always something because I I love video essays, and it's always something yeah. I've wanted to do. So like the fact that you were able to just do that, like. Like that's impressive. So, like, props to you. Well, thank you. Yeah, it was just something I wanted to do for a long time, like you said, um, and I think it turned out okay. You can see that on my YouTube. I'll link that in the uh, show notes. But yeah, it was something I just want to throw together. You know, I have this really <laughs> extensive, exp- expensive, and extensive, uh, you know, setup here. So I thought, you know, why am I just wasting all this stuff on, you know, just it's just sitting here for most for the most part. Um, so yeah, that's up there. Um, let's see. So I have the medium blog You can go to damien.sherman.medium.com. Check that stuff out. And I believe that's the stuff for me. And what do you have to plug for yourself? Yeah. So, um, I also have a medium, so definitely check that out. Um, you know, that's, that's what I end up always doing instead of my video essays is I just write articles on medium. Uh, I had one go up recently about uh, video game movies, like I was kind of talking about. And then, uh, I also do a, another podcast called underrated, where I talk about underrated movies um, throughout May, we are talking about video game movies. Um, so you know, we're talking about some of the ones that are you know like these get a, they're bad movies and maybe they deserve a better rep. Um, so there's that. Uh, I've also just checked me out on Instagram. Uh, check out uh, Undercast Company is the name of you know the Instagram for my podcasts and all that. Um, yeah, I guess that's a, that's about it. Awesome. So for can I say something? Episode number. Uh, 137. I have been Damien. And I've been Derek. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. Bye.